Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'd like to thank my colleague Holly Fry for filling in for me for the last seven episodes. Today is December 30th. The Iroquois Theater in Chicago caught fire on this day in 1903, killing at least 600 people. This theater was almost brand new. It had opened on November 23rd of that year. Performer Eddie Foy had described it as, quote, one of the finest that had yet been built in this country, a palace of marble and plate glass, plush and mahogany and gilding. On top of its beauty and magnificence, it was supposed to be fireproof. It had a capacity of 1,724, but on this particular afternoon, there were 1,900 people inside. It was standing room only, And most of the people in the audience were mothers and their children. It was the holiday season. They were taking family outings. And the second act of the show, at about 3.15 in the afternoon, one of the painted canvas backdrops brushed up against a reflector on a spotlight. Stage lights are incredibly hot. And this backdrop started to smolder. There was a stagehand who saw this happen and tried to put the fire out, but he just couldn't reach the backdrop from where he was. There was also an on-site firefighter, and he tried to put the fire out with two tubes of a product called Kill Fires. This was a tin tube, and what was inside was mostly baking soda. This probably would have done an okay job of putting out something like a grease fire on the stove in the kitchen, but on the vertical surface of an oil-painted backdrop, it just couldn't do the job, and the fire started to spread At first, no one in the audience or even on the stage was quite aware that anything was wrong because this fire was moving upward into the fly space above the stage. But then burning curtains and scenery started to fall onto the stage. Eddie Foy, who was on stage at the time, tried to keep the crowd calm, tried to get them to evacuate in an orderly fashion. But as he was talking, there were burning curtains falling at his feet, He yelled to the stage manager to drop the asbestos curtain. This was supposed to drop down between the stage and the audience in case of a fire, but it got snagged on a light fixture and it jammed partway down the track. Almost immediately, there was a huge panic in the audience and backstage. Actors and dancers opened the stage door to escape, and that let a blast of air into the theater. The vents that should have allowed this rush of air to go out through the roof were nailed shut. And there were also supposed to be fans that would pull air out through the roof, but those had never been finished. So the result was an enormous fireball. Foy stayed on the stage as long as he could, trying to maintain calm and to get people to exit safely, but he was finally forced to leave He was reunited with his son, who was with him that day, and who he had sent outside with a stagehand. Inside the theater, though, it was horrifying. It was dark. It was smoky. People couldn't find the exits. A lot of these exits, of which there were many, were hidden behind draperies, and many of them were locked. So many people were trampled to death trying to get to the exits. Some died after jumping out of windows, 
Even some of those who landed safely were then crushed by people falling on top of them. In just 15 minutes, the theater was a total loss. 575 people died that day out of the 1,900 people in the audience. So about 30% of the audience died, and nearly all the victims were women and children. There was only one performer who was killed. 30 more people died of their injuries in the following weeks, and hundreds more were injured. And it was a huge scandal. This was a supposedly fireproof building, but so many people had died. It wasn't ever really fireproof, though, and there were people who had pointed out problems long before the theater opened. The editor of Fireproof Magazine had pointed out lots of issues before the opening day, like that there was no draft to draw the fire up into the loft instead of allowing it to spread out into the audience, which is what happened. That's just one example. The theater's manager and several Chicago public officials were indicted after the fire, but none of them were ever charged. The owner of the theater was charged and convicted, but that charge was later reversed. None of the victims' families ever received any kind of restitution apart from one class action suit, and the members each received $750. This horrible fire did lead to some changes in the fire code, including a requirement that doors in the theater need to open outward and be clearly marked. You can learn more about this in the December 8th, 2014 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a disappearance that's still unsolved. Hey, everyone. If I sound a lot cozier today, it's because I am. I'm at home for the holidays, but this is This Day in History class, which means you'll still get a new slice of history every day. So let's get on with the show. The day was December 30th, 1924. American astronomer Edwin Hubble announced the existence of galaxies beyond the Milky Way. Hubble graduated from the University of Chicago in 1910 with a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and Astronomy. And in 1914, he went back to the University of Chicago to get his doctorate in astronomy. There, he began working at the Yerkes Observatory, where he studied nebulae or anything that wasn't immediately identifiable as a star. He got his doctorate in 1917, but that same year, the U.S. entered World War I, and Hubble joined the Army. Once the war ended, he returned to astronomy. Astronomer George Hale, founder of the Yerkes Observatory and director of the Mount Wilson Observatory, had offered Hubble a job at Mount Wilson before he went off to war. In 1919, Hubble took a staff position at Mount Wilson Observatory near Pasadena, California. There, he worked with the 100-inch Hooker Telescope, which was then the largest in the world. He stayed at the observatory for his whole career. At Mount Wilson, Hubble continued studying nebulae. At this time, scientists thought the Milky Way made up the entire universe, and spiral nebulae were thought to be clouds of gas or dust within the Milky Way. But in 1912, astronomer Henrietta Leavitt showed how to use Cepheids, or stars that brighten and dim periodically, to estimate their distance from Earth. 
And some astronomers did believe that the nebulae were distant island universes that were separate from the Milky Way. Starting in 1923, Hubble identified Cepheid variable stars in what was then known as the Andromeda Nebula. Based on their brightness, luminosity, and the distances of Cepheid stars in the Milky Way, Hubble determined that the stars were at least 800,000 light-years away. That meant that they were beyond the boundaries of the Milky Way, which had a maximum diameter of about 100,000 light-years. This discovery also revealed that nebulae are different star systems and that the universe extends past the reaches of the Milky Way. He called these galaxies extragalactic nebulae. By the end of 1924, other astronomers were aware of Hubble's findings. On December 30, 1924, he published his observations for review at a meeting of the American Astronomical Society that would take place two days later. Other astronomers accepted Hubble's conclusions pretty quickly. Hubble went on to find and describe more galaxies, dividing them into the categories of regular or irregular and the regular ones as spiral or elliptical based on their shape. And he made many other significant contributions to cosmology. In 1929, Hubble combined his work with that of astronomer Vesto Slipher and his assistant Milton Humason, and he found an essentially linear relationship between the distances of galaxies and their radial velocities. That concept came to be known as Hubble's Law. Put simply, it says that the farther apart galaxies are, the faster they move away from each other. Hubble's findings helped lead to the notion of the expanding universe. His work had big implications. Due in part to his observations, debate intensified around the idea of the Big Bang, or the universe's earliest expansion. Some said that the universe expanded from a single point at its origin, while others said that the universe exists in a steady state. The Hubble Space Telescope, launched by NASA in 1990, is named after him. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to hit us up on social media, you can do so at TDIHC Podcast, or you can just email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.